Welcome to the Future Church Podcast with Anthony Delaney. If this podcast helps you, forward it to others, give us a review and subscribe today. For additional thoughts and resources, visit anthonydelaney.com. I'm delighted to welcome my friend Danielle Strickland onto the Future Church podcast. And uh, we're really looking, um, the way in which I'm setting this up is I'm going to drive people around the bend. Uh, in the, we don't know what's coming around the bend, but I'm hoping that we get some sort of prophetic insight into um, looking where we've been, looking where we are, and then kind of thinking, well, what are the issues that we have to confront going forwards? Obviously, there's been... Um, Innovations had to happen because of the crisis moment of COVID, but there's also things that that were a long time coming, I think, that now have just um, it's become very evident that there's change that, that God needed, God wanted to take place so it would be more like his church that now we're seeing and having to deal with. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. Um, but he shouldn't make us shy away from that. And I know that uh, Danielle's written books. She's a, an advocate for uh, for justice in the name of Jesus. And uh, she just loves to, um, to br- see his kingdom come in so many ways. And it's just a great delight to be able to reconnect with you, Danielle. So uh, thank you for spending the time to be with us today. Oh, yeah. It's an honor. Always love being with you. Thank you. So... Um, I'll just dive right in, I can. You know, some of the, the things that have become sort of the, the major talking points, the things that actually people kind of fall out over, you know, um, not that we're going to, but the things that, that, you know, you start a thread on Facebook about some issues, you're going to see such polarization of thoughts uh, and around, around different issues. And, and one, just to dive right in, would be um, around gender, which I know you've written on, Previously, you wrote a great book that I loved and have commended to so many people about the role of women in the church. And, um, and it's something that I've learned so much from and, and kind of do whatever I can to, uh, to, to say, yeah, let's model women in leadership um, just being so important that for, the, for a healthy church and a biblical church for that to be the case. But I know that um, recently you've been looking even even more into that and, and not just talking about women in leadership, but, but men and women in leadership and, uh, and how does that work best? And so how do we, what, what kind of insights would you want to bring us our thoughts into that? What's the problem as you see it? And then what could be the beginnings of some, some solutions, I suppose? Yeah, uh, specifically around uh, gender, which I think actually relates to the way that we connect with everyone. So I would say that what God wants in every season is right relationship. Uh, So right relationships with him and then also right relationships with each other. So this isn't super complicated because Jesus said, you know, let's boil it all down. These are the two commandments, right? And it's like to love God with all your heart, that, that Deuteronomy Shema, right? That the Jews would have recited every single day of their lives. So everybody knows this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And, um, and these two commandments are what it means to be in right relationship with God. They're the same, you know, love your neighbors yourself is the same as the one of love your, your love. They're equal in nature because that's how we manifest the love of God in the world. So I think right relationship is always the point 
Um, mm. And I mean, Paul would put it like this, this is a gospel of reconciliation. So this is putting wrong things right. And relationships are at the heart of that. So I would say that every place where there is an opportunity to make relationships right that have been wrong, and uh, is an opportunity for God's kingdom to advance. So I would say that repentance, you know, the season that we're in is really mostly just making visible what we haven't been willing to see. Mm. So, um, you know, it's that aha moment in many ways. It's a reframe of even ourselves, right? You remember the prodigal son is like, oh, now I see clearly I'm feeding pigs. You know, like this is where I've gotten to. So there's this like kind of reckoning of like, this is where we are. And I think when it comes to gender, when it comes to race, uh, when it comes to the church, uh, when it comes to sort of this, the situation that we're in in the world in terms of everyone's even own uncertainty about their future, I think there is this great opportunity of the beginning part of repentance where we say, oh, this is not where we wanna be. Like this isn't okay. And without that sort of like recognition that something's wrong, you can't make something right. So that's where, you know, I think for generations, really, we've chosen not to see that there's a problem. And particularly, I mean, in the church, when we talk about gender, or even in the world, when we talk about gender equity, we're talking about, you know, a group of men who have not seen anything wrong with what's happening. Because, of course, why would they? You know, there's... (laughs) Uh, until such a time where, you know, I think the Me Too movement helped this a lot, mm-hmm. where there was this, you know, millions and millions of women saying, this is the truth about what's happening to me. And then we see the same thing with racism, yeah. um, where everyone, you know, who's been benefiting from a system uh, of whiteness, you know, at the center of everything, hasn't noticed anything wrong. Nothing's wrong. What do you mean? Uh, and then everyone who's outside of that system, all of a sudden there's this overflow of this is not okay anymore. And so I think that's, those are really uh, disconcerting times, but they're also invitations from God for us to get a right picture of what's wrong so that we can be part of reconciliation in the world. Yeah, a right picture of what's wrong. So I go back, I think Genesis goes right back there. You've got... Um, Eve, you know, and Paul talks about this, Eve did it first, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, she was the first one who was deceived. And then, um, and then it's like, but you, you have this, this fallout in the fall, if we're going to go into that, that classical thing and blaming and shaming and all those kind of things that have sort of like been there as part of fallen humanity, I suppose. And, and so what kind of things would you say, are the symptoms of that that you know what it, what has gone wrong what kind of can we think of some some specifics of how that ends up being played out not just in history because obviously we could you know we can look but but even in the way in which relationships um happen now in church and in and, and what what could be possible solutions what are better ways to do that yeah so i mean one word you know defines it all which is patriarchy right which is male dominated or male led uh, and that is a you know direct result in Genesis of this brokenness that entered into the world. So first, the first thing that broke was our relationship with God, mm-hmm. and you see God wandering through the garden, calling out, you know, Adam, Adam, which is Adam and Eve together. Where are you? Mm-hmm. And they're hiding. So shame, hiddenness, all of those things are, uh, you know, animosity, even like just uh, hide, you know, anything that's sort of secret. I'm hiding my true self. 
uh, from God. Those are all evidence of the brokenness between God and us. And then I would say with each other, you know, obviously enters blame, shame. It starts with gender, which I think is why gender is so hard uh, because it was the, one of the first things to break when our relationship with God broke. So the first thing that happens is this, you know, man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent. You know, there's all this like blame and shame going on. And then, you know, that brokenness then extends, of course, to then it becomes brother against brother, and then it becomes tribe against tribe, and then it becomes nation against nation. And then you just see this wow. like fallout of brokenness all over the scriptures. And wow. then Jesus is saying, like, Jesus, this is why it's so powerful that the gospel is a gospel of reconciliation, because we're putting everything back into right relationship with each other. So women and men are right at the ground zero of this brokenness. And one of the effects of the fall, of course, is that um that there would be like a hierarchical you know the results of the fall is that mm. a woman would have a man uh lead her and would want it that way you know mm. so there's this like hierarchical idea of uh control and leadership and male domination that's uh, patriarchy which is if you read the text is a direct result of sin yeah so i always say if you want to model sin to the world by all means uh, have men lead, <laughs> you know, alone, right? And that's yeah. the other thing in the Genesis account, when God's creating things, the, the way he wants them to be, the only time he ever says this isn't working in the created order is when he creates man by himself to lead. Wow. And that's the only time in the created order where he says, okay, well, no, this isn't right. And then that's when he creates women and they lead together. So this idea that, uh, and of course, this goes all the way back to what we think about God. So if you think about God as a male CEO in a corner office with a good view, kind of bossing everybody around, which I think for many, 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 many years, this is how we thought about God. Mm. And we don't really want to say that because we know it's not true, but it's actually, I think we think of a man leading by himself, which is the very thing God said, no, no, this is not good. It's not that it's not good because he doesn't like men. That's, that's exactly not true. Mm. It's not good because that's not how God leads. Yeah. And he was creating humanity to reflect how God leads. And how God leads is in community. This is the beautiful doctrine of the Trinity, right? That's that God right. is always in fellowship. He's not lonely over, you know, in leadership. He's in fullness of fellowship. And the love between the Trinity is what creates all the beautiful things, uh, including humanity. So when he's looking at humanity, he's like, how can humanity best reflect me to the world? And he realizes that co-leadership is the way you know this relationship this equity this this love between us is how god is best reflected paul picks that up later on in a little passage of scripture where it gets misconstrued all the time where he's talking about marriage as a reflection of god to the world and he said that's where he says like husbands love your wife as you love your own body and uh and that's where the word submission there wives submit to your husband as unto the lord gets a little bit distorted because paul's actually introducing this radical idea that the way that we relate to each other and love each other is the way that god is displayed is on displayed in the world so even when it comes to personal relationships between men and women i always say if you want to model sin and brokenness to the world mm. go with hierarchy mm. you know that works perfect this is a this is a really good way to model brokenness and sin. But if you want to model God to the world, you want to model, you know, the nature of who God is, then codependency, you know, like mm -hmm. this interdependent uh, 
equity is how that's best reflected. So if we think from a theological lens, this is really important in the way that we lead together. So mutuality, you know, seeing our strengths in one another, uh, amplifying our strengths in one another, serving one another, uh, submitting to one another, you know, in our best gifts, uh, yeah. learning how we can lead together and, and serve the world together is one of the ways that we reflect God best to the world. So I think this is even more than just giving women a chance. Uh, also, we don't want to live in the brokenness of, you know, millions and millions of women having their normal average expectation be harassment and abuse. Yeah. I mean, that's the extreme. And that goes even worse than that. The Me Too movement is just the tip of the tip of the iceberg because of course there are whole generations of women born in countries that can't even speak for themselves mm -hmm. uh, just by virtue of the fact they were born female. So there's definitely a, a demonic, I would say a demonic assault on women around the world, which is its own interesting, you know, why there's a beautiful book called um, Half the Sky which is uh, two journalists um, who are not believers, but who just believe that the gender uh, issue is the issue of our time, you know, of our era. And they go around the world sort of trying to document why are women the most persecuted people group on the planet? Like, how is this making any sense? And they really don't make much sense of it. They don't really understand it because I think actually it's a supernatural problem. Yeah. Uh, and the devil does not like women. Uh, one of my theories around this is the devil doesn't like women because Jesus speaks to Eve and says there is a time coming, you know, where the end of, you know, you're going to crush the head of this enemy who's now uh, bruised your heel. And often, of course, we think traditionally through the lens of uh, traditional theologians, we've thought that that's Jesus, you know, the fruit of the woman uh, is the one that crushes uh, Satan's head. But of course, in Romans, Paul says to the body of Christ yeah. that the God yeah. of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And this is this the body of Christ. And I think what that means is that there's still time, you know, that women as they're empowered and as they rise up and as there's equity and as there as shared leadership, every time we reflect God well to the world in terms of team and mutuality and loving and serving postures, we actually crush the enemy and the plans of the enemy underneath our feet. Wow, so good. I'll definitely I'll put that book on the list. We'll put it in the notes of this. Uh, time together and help people to be able to find it. One that really helped me, I don't know if you ever heard, there's a very famous British historian over here called Mary Beard, and she's written a great book, Women in Power. And that like how this work, works through in so many other, you know, interesting culture and how it's silencing women specifically. It's the, you know, it's like how, you know, there's so many things are like, shut you up, mm -hmm. you know, because actually we don't want to give voice to you. So, Okay, um, this is you're going to need. Give me some grace on this, then. I'm because um, this is the kind of thing I'm going to say wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, how do how how I, I when I came into ministry, the vicar who was the guy who kind of uh, you know I learned from, you know, he said there's three things that are going to come at you in ministry that are going to you know that take everybody out. So look out, and he basically said it's you know as a male leader, he said it's it's women. And it's uh, money, and it's um, was the other one? The, it was like the gold. He said the gold, the girls, and the glamour. Now I don't know where he'd been because I wasn't on any gold. 
I was married and it didn't seem very glamorous to be doing that church at that time at all. So, but basically what he was saying was money, sex and power. There's, there's been books around that and all those kind of things. And obviously for women, the problem, not always exclusively, you know, it could, could be it's sexual sin, all those kind of things. So there's been various ways people have tried to, I think from some of the right reasons, from a position of wanting to be people of integrity, to be able to not... You know, no good just praying to God, lead me not into temptation when I'm putting myself in places where I'm being tempted unwisely, etc. And so, I mean, interested from your work, what kind of things can be put in place that kind of, in a sense, I mean, I'm just being honest, protect us from ourselves and from that fallen nature, which does still take people out of ministry. And it's that kind of thing where, you, you know, afterwards you're like, you're like, how could she, how could he... I thought that, and then this happened, and it just be, you know, and it, and it is, you know, people way holier, better than me <laughs> end up, um, you know, just messed up. So what, what, and there's, you know, people have talked about there's the Billy Graham rule stuff, and then some people are like, that's just terrible, because that means women can't do this. No. But, but what, what's the Jesus rule? What's a, what's a good way of us being able to do you know, to be able to, to, as you said, co-lead, what kind of models have you seen of how it works well that we can learn from and, um, you know, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. This is fascinating in so many ways because uh, it's how we see people, isn't it, in the end. It's how mm -hmm. we view people. And this is where repentance comes into full view because how we see people will inevitably mean will treat people a certain way so uh whole generations of men especially men in ministry have been taught that women are a threat mm. uh, this isn't new i mean this is women were way more of a threat in jesus's time so you know in my book i say you know just as kindly as i can uh that uh, jesus never followed the billy graham rule mm. um, he just never saw women through the lens of threat or shame or temptation. Mm. Uh, he saw women through the lens of the kingdom of God. He saw women as leaders. He saw women as seekers. He saw women as disciples. You know, he just, he saw women as apostles even. I mean, he just saw, and he sees everybody that way, by the way. He doesn't see power through the lens of threat. He doesn't see, you know, uh, poverty through the lens of fear or threat. So there's something that Jesus is inviting us to, this new humanity that chooses to see people through a different lens. Uh, and I think, you know, this is a really interesting thing, but this is the, the deal with religion. You know, we always say to people, you know, these external ideas of trying to earn our way or protect ourselves um, don't work. So we need this personal relationship. You know, this is our gospel message, right? That this religious system has been done away with. And there's this new relationship-based, inside-out transformation that can happen. And I, I think it's so fascinating that we believe that as a spiritual exercise, but we don't believe that as, you know, an external exercise, like a personal practical exercise. But maybe it is, maybe the problem is that we keep, you know, doing these external things to protect ourselves. You know, again, just very similar to the Pharisees. Mm. Again, maybe their motives weren't as off as we think they were. Maybe their motives were to stay pure, to stay true, to stay centered to the message. And so they see all of this Jesus stuff as like, uh, like threat. They see yeah, it yeah. as, you know, not just difference, but like you're, 
you know, you're messing with these, this religious system. And so I think it's really interesting because we're like, no more religious systems when it comes to Jesus. It's all relationship. But then it's like, women, what? We have rules now. You know, we're just making external rules to try to dictate our behavior. But this is the thing I keep asking, like, when has external rules helped our hearts? You know, I mean, the best of the best of the Pharisees couldn't get their hearts right through external practices and external rules. I mean, this is the whole thing Jesus came to tell us is it doesn't work from the outside in, it works from the inside out. So, I I mean, when we get to really practical details, I would say when you're viewing people, so if you're a male leader and you're viewing women through the lens of threat, you've got to repent. You have Mm -hmm. to start, you have to change your mind. Like when you're objectifying women, and then, I mean, there's so many layers of this, right? Because just the, the statistics of pornography, for example, and with leaders is just through the roof. You know, 68% of men uh, admit to viewing porn at least once a week. Mm. Uh, and those are the ones that admit it. You know what I mean? So we have a massive pornography problem. And the problem with pornography is less moral in terms of like, you really shouldn't be doing that. That's naughty. And way more justice in terms of if mm. we view each other every day through a narrative that porn is offering us which is right back to the fall. It's about domination and power way more than it is about sex. Uh, then, you know, what's happening to our relationships. So, um, so there's all kinds of that, but I think, I, and that's why I think it's really important to, how are you viewing women? Like as through lens of temptation, through a lens of threat, through a lens of distraction, you know, if you're viewing women through that objectificational lens, mm. uh, then you've got some repentance to do. And there has to come to a place in your own life and accountability uh, where you're willing to ask God to give you a spirit that sees people uh, through the lens of the kingdom of God. Mm. Uh, And I think one of the problems with the external codes where we try to protect ourselves uh, from each other and from temptation and threat and through the lens of fear is that it never gets to those hard issues. So we actually never deal with those things. So we're still, we're constantly just living a life of fear. Um, instead of actually being liberated from our fear. So I would say some just practical things is some real rigorous discipleship, like genuine, like uh, followers of Jesus, transparency in your calendar and in your, you know, I have a, f- a friend of mine who just says, my wife has codes to everything. There's no secrets. We have no secrets. Uh, you know, there's no hiddenness. There's no secret, you know, meetings that I'm doing because my wife's not okay with this or, or whatever. I think there's this discussion, this open, yeah. transparent uh, conversation. I think when a, a temptation comes your way to deal with it quickly and to deal with it with a friend, to confess your sin and to have somebody uh, keep you accountable, but not keep the other person accountable for your sin, to keep you accountable. So if you're not trustworthy to be around, then you might need to step out of leadership because you're not trustworthy to be around. If women can't uh, trust you uh, to see them through a kingdom lens, then you're the problem, not the woman. Uh, So I think like in terms of behavior of church and church leaders, I think it would be way more, if we're gonna deal with the root cause of the problem, you know, we should have all female-led uh, churches, and the problem goes away. It doesn't yeah. really sound like women tend to be the uh, the perpetrators. Yeah, I'm I'm just a big temptation, though. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I think um, I just as I'm reflecting on what you said, when I was in the police, I had all kinds of women that I worked with, and women bosses and all that kind of stuff and it was never a problem and it's it's strange that it becomes one in the church 
and I'm being told that by the vicar. And actually, as I reflect on it, um, looking back, that kind of the external stuff didn't in the end help him. Right. And, uh, and so and I, 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 now at the same time, I do want to, I'm, I'm really trying to find a balance there in terms of the wisdom and all that kind of stuff. And there is that sort of sense in which I want to, you know, I'm, I'm picking my way through that. And so it's been really helpful for me to hear your perspective on that and to learn from it. And yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I do, you know, there's, there's things I'm, I'm, I'm kind of learning. I'm 55. I'm sort of still, you know, each one of us are products of our own culture and the generations and all those kind of things. And that's not an excuse, but to move on from that also as a former police officer, riot squad police officer, um, working in an area in this inner city here in Manchester, which was predominantly, um, was people who were, um, immigrants, that was actually, you know, it was a lot of people who were, who were brought in to this country. And there were, so there's mainly, um, actually, um, people from the West Indies, some people from other nations, but it was very few white people in the, in the beat that I was working, violence, an everyday thing, a really tough beat to be working, et cetera. And so, and I'm aware, you know, I'll, the, the, the time the police as an institution was very in, institutionalized in terms of racism. And so the stuff that's ingrained within me that I can now, by the spirit of God, look back on and kind of go, oh man, you know, at the time that was just the air I breathed. That was the jokes we told. That was the way in which it was. But now I'm, I'm in the kingdom and, and the Lord's dealing with me. And I kind of thought I was done with it. I kind of thought, yeah, I'm not a, well, I'm not a racist anymore. God's dealt with all those kind of things. But then just, you know, recently, the, the, you know, the Black Lives Matter, these, these demonstrations and listening to brothers and sisters who, so, who I think have been silent because they've not wanted to be, to be thought any worse off in some ways and now feeling a sense of a voice coming, coming forward. So, so, you know, what, in terms of, you know, that's obviously, again, for you, justice issues around race and how, how uh, the same sort of, and again, it's one of those things how it's such a minefield. So how do we best navigate through through this when, again, and I'm thinking, I won't even go into this, somebody says something, doesn't get it quite right, and the next thing is it's like on every Twitter and all of that, and it does make you kind of feel like, oh, I don't want to be the next one who says the wrong thing and offends those thousands who then, you know, and it's like, again, you, you know, how do we bravely move forward? Yeah you know, into these issues that I do feel, you know, the Lord calls us into and, and navigate them well. So any insights on that as well? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, sexism and racism are the same intersection mm -hmm. uh, in terms of right relationships. So you see these overlap in history all the time. You know, when the, we were campaigning for the end of slavery, we were also campaigning for women's rights mm -hmm. uh, because they're that same, you know, that Galatians, that gospel truth that in Christ Jesus, there are now all of these divisions uh, that used to, you know, divide us and make us us and them are no longer uh, are no longer valid. That there is no, there's only us now. We're all on the same side. That I always say God has no human enemies. Um, so I think um, this again back to repentance. You know how we see people really matters, mm -hmm. and I think it's okay to have a time where we're like, whoa, you know, we need to repent. You know, we need to change the way that we viewed. Uh, the world. We need to change the way that we viewed what our normal is. We need to change the way that we viewed other people. And there are some postures that can help. Listen, 
you know, listening is just a good idea. Maybe we don't have to have all the answers right now. Maybe our answer is we need to know more. I need to learn more. I'm sorry I haven't heard before. Like, you know, just the idea even that that video of George Floyd is the catalyst uh, for the, the movement is fascinating to me because it's not like the first video footage. Uh, there's been videos all over the place. Like people have been saying this for hundreds and hundreds of years. I was just rereading through a book called The Radical King by Dr. Cornel West, and it's Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, writings and letters and all kinds of things collected. It's unbelievable. Like, I mean, how prophetic uh, and powerful and Jesus-centered uh, he was as a leader. And when King died, you know, he was the most hated man in America. Like, and most people would say, you know, if you went to march uh, with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. at that time, you were a communist. Wow. And you know, it was really interesting to me because I, 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 I hashtag Black Lives Matter and something recently and somebody said to me, you know, you know, those guys are violent, you know, they just, you know, violent, whatever movement or anti-white or something like that. And I was like, have you looked into it? Like, for real? Do you also think Martin Luther King Jr. is a communist? Like, you know, there's this, there's, there are these resistance that we have for repentance, right? We don't want to change. And Margaret Heffernan, she's a sociologist who says our brains are actually wired to believe the truth we want to be true. Uh, so this is true in our most intimate relationships. You know, it's like how people who've had been in a relationship and their partner's having an affair and they just don't know, they don't know. And then all of a sudden one day they catch them, you know, and they're just like, wow, like I was so shocked. But then when they actually think about it, they remember all of the things that pointed. There was like very clear they were having an affair much sooner, but they just didn't want to know. Yeah. And it's called willful blindness. And I think in so many ways, our culture, ourselves, you know, those of us who have been at the center. So whether you're a male leader or whether we're just white in a white made society, we don't want to know no. uh, because we think actually it's going to be bad news. And it may be hard news, but in the end, the gospel, you know, this idea of equity to see people through the lens of equality and empowerment and celebration, to see diversity as a strength instead of as a, a challenge. Uh, that's good news. I mean, that's the early church. I mean, that's the sign and wonder that the world's been waiting for, right? Our relationships made right. So this is a wonderful time. I had a friend of mine who was in Atlanta, sort of the most violent riots, and uh, he just went out to you know, right away, he's a white Canadian friend of mine. He was an ex-heroin addict and has this beautiful, you know, just justice spirit in him. And he just went right away saying, yeah, I'm with you guys. How can I help? What can I do? And was able to minister to people on the streets, was able to like just repent there to say like, I'm so sorry, this is your experience and how can I help? And started ministering to people, got some people saved as a result. Like, and, um, and then he took a picture of the crowd and he posted it on his Facebook and he, he just put this on the heading. When you look at this picture, what do you see? Mm. And then underneath, he just talked about how if you see, you know, looters, if you see thugs, if you see, you know, whatever, then I'm going to challenge you to repent because here's what I see. Leaders. I see entrepreneurs. I see future members of the kingdom of God. I see, you know, children of God. I see. And he just goes on with this, like, this is what I see. This I see a generation rising that wants to change the world. And it was such a challenge even to me, right? That just the way that we view, the way that we see things matters in terms of the way we engage with people. Mm -hmm. And I think this is true of racism. You know, that means that we have to actually see ourselves in some sober light. You know, what's that in Romans where Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but with sober judgment. 
in accordance with the faith God's given you. Like we need some sober judgment right now over our own privilege. Yeah. Um, and it's, and I think that's okay. I think that willingness for us to repent is the invitation God's giving us right now to show that the kingdom that he has planned is going to be so much better than what we could ever have, uh, ever have uh, thought possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, we went to the one in Manchester, Zoe and I, because, um, there's a guy around the corner who'd been who'd been saying, "Can we do this locally?" And and I went, and there was a few people did that. And then he said, "There's this thing in Manchester." So I didn't think there'd be that many. I just thought, well, if he's going, it'd be a shame for him to go on his own. <laughs> and then we got the bus, and there was like all these other people then getting on this bus. I said to Zoe, "I think there might be a lot of people going to this." And we got there, and it was. And again, it's one of the things. This is a movement, and it was very interesting for the church to look at how how movements begin. Yes. And, you know, to be able to learn from that and to, you know, where does that, and rather than just effectively, I mean, there's, there's got to be things we can learn in all kinds of ways too. But, but the, like you say, I think the problem is, from my perspective, like Alan in, in, in many of his books quotes somebody or another, you know what Alan's like, who, who, um, who, who, uh, who says that those who benefit from the system are least likely to want to have it changed. The thing from scripture that's always helped me too, like I wrote a book on the Exodus story and I reflected on how every single time I've ever read the Exodus story, I read it as though I was an Israelite. Mm. But what if I'm Egypt? You know, how do I read the Exodus story if I'm Egypt? And of course, if I'm honest, you know, Western, white, colonial power, I mean, we're Egypt. Yeah. Uh, it's slaves that make our clothes. So our prices stay, I mean, still, you know, this is still mm. the... So I said, you know, am I willing, like what if a shepherd, so someone from the oppressed people group came to me with the power that I had and said to me, this is what God's saying to you right now, let my people go. Mm. What would I say? Mm. Would I say no? Because this is actually, this is the whole, my whole kingdom, my whole empire is built in this system. So if you go, then I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose resource. I'm going to lose power. I'm going to lose, you know, the cost is too great. So I'm going to say no, like Pharaoh said, no, I'm just going to harden myself to the truth a little bit more. And, um, and this is, I think in this invitation, I mean, this is literally God introduces himself to Moses as the God who hears the cry of the oppressed. So you have these people who are saying, we're tired of being oppressed. I mean, literally this image of like, I can't breathe and life being, you know, taken mm -hmm. that, that as the cry of the oppressed. And we have this invitation, I think very similar to uh, Pharaoh. Uh, we have the control, we have the power, we benefit from oppression and we have benefit. Our whole economies have been built off of oppression and uh, the oppressed are coming saying, let our people go. And the answer is going to be, you know, what repentance is going to look like more like, I hope, like King David, where mm -hmm. Nathan comes in and says, you're the man. And yeah. King David says, okay, yeah, you're right. And then repents before the Lord and God, you know, does a beautiful, that's why God loves David, right? Because he has a soft heart. But I feel like we can either be David, which doesn't mean we're never going to make any mistakes. It just means we're going to be willing for uh, repentance. We're going to be willing when God convicts us to make things right. Um, or we're going to be Pharaoh and things are going to be made right anyway, but mm. it won't be, uh, we won't be in on that. You know, we're going to be left out of that, uh, narrative. So I feel like, you know, this is an important time. And this is really interesting to me because the people that I talk to, even in the church, predominantly white people who will just say, oh, this isn't a big deal, just like you. And then I went down with my kids. I took my kids. It was home. It's homeschool, COVID land. So I 
we did a whole thing on racism and they made their own signs and we went down to march in the black lives matter to talk about how like we can we can be allies we can be solidarity this is jesus you know here saying black lives matter of course you know and um and went down there and i mean it's every it's it's massive it's i mean it's thousands and thousands and thousands of people more than the best thought you know uh that the organizers had like they were overwhelmed like they're like we don't have enough marketing we couldn't hear the speakers we couldn't hear anything that was going on we were just so it's this there's a cry right it's a cry and uh if you're god's if you're god's people and you're saying yahweh you know jesus is the one you follow then he hears the cry and uh, he's asking us to help him. So I think, you know, even that repenting for the idea that this isn't a big deal, uh, even that is its own repentance, isn't it? This is a big deal. It's been a big deal for a long, long time, hundreds and hundreds of years. And then I think there are these moments, what, you know, we would say Kairos moments, these suddenlies, where this has been chipped at, chipped at, chipped at, or, or like Bob uh, Dylan used to sing, right? I'm just punching at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. And so you just keep punching or kicking and and light comes in a little bit at a time, but then one punch, you know, brings the whole thing down and light comes streaming in. And I feel like we're in one of those Kairos light moments, particularly around racism. And it's a beautiful opportunity to walk in the light. Okay, so last question, I think, Naomi, in terms of our time, because I'm very grateful for the time you've given us. But, you know, it talks about judgment begins with the house of the Lord. And so how do we... As church, what kind of things does church specifically need to repent of in these, you know, in these areas? Um, what, what, and, and repentance, not just saying, oh, we're sorry, which is a good starting point and, you know, feeling remorseful over it. But actually, you know, you, you're showing the future is going to be different. And this podcast is called Future Church. What do we dream of in terms of what the church could look like in the future uh, to be more like the kind of church that um, the that, that scripture would would call this the, the, the kind of church that uh, the gates of hell does not prevail against. Right. I mean, we have this spelled out for us, right, in Revelation, where it's every tribe, every tongue, every language, and everybody equal, right? We're all wearing the same gowns. Uh, we're wearing white robes washed in the blood of the Lamb, all of us, overcoming the enemy by the word of our testimony. So I think what we need to do is just have a sober look at how our church looks and how the revelation picture of the church of Jesus Christ looks. Mm-hmm. And and then we need to make some adjustments. Uh, so, and this is going to look different for every single church. I think the problem is that we're not going to hold the answer to those ad- adjustments. So I run this thing called Amplify Peace, and we just use this really simple uh, pattern of behavior for change. And it's um, it's listen. Uh, and it's not just listen in general, it's listen to voices you don't normally hear. Mm. So I say this with gender stuff too. So you can't have a table full of men having a conversation about how we empower women. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, it's, you, it's, you, you know, it's the men that made the problem. So you're going to need to invite some women to come and speak to you. You're going to need to learn from some women. You're going to need to ask them why they're not at the table. And then you're going to learn some things. So it's mm-hmm. listen to voices you don't normally hear. So if it's diversity... You're gonna get. You're gonna need to get to some diverse people and ask them. You know, tell us why you're not leading in this church. Tell us why people from uh, aren't coming to this church. Like, tell us why this church is a white church. Please, we need to figure this out. And then I think we need to learn new ways of doing things. Um, we need to look for churches that are doing it differently and what they're doing. And this will. This is a real learning season. Like 
figure it out, read the stuff, like do your research, like learn what it means to even deal with racism on the inside of you, but then also in your practices and then live differently. And then just keep repeating that. Listen to voices you don't normally hear, learn different ways of doing life and being a human and then live differently in, incorporate what it is that you're learning into your everyday practice. So um, in gender circles, I'll say, you know, you got to aim to make a change or else it will never happen. You, you have to overemphasize what needs to happen now because you've, you're in a pattern and you're in a rut of what used to happen then. Hmm. So you're going to have to make some real intentional targets and decisions. You're going to have to identify leaders. Um, and you're going to have to make intentional changes to your own practices right now. Are you willing to do that? You know, uh, that's what repentance looks like, right? Not just to be sorry, but to be willing to make things right. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot more, um, less of you, more of other people. Uh, if you can't, if you're part of a leadership team and we're in the middle of this black lives matter movement and you don't have one black person who can speak from your church. Uh, who's black, you have, you have a problem. Mm. And identifying that problem is step number one, learning who those people are and who you could develop and why you haven't developed diverse voices up until now. That's step number two and uh, start correcting that, live differently. And uh, I think there's genuine opportunities for us to, to figure this stuff out. Right. Listen, learn, live differently. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay. Yeah. Could you pray for us as we um, as we as we close this time out together, please? I'd be really grateful if you if you did that. Thank you. If you could, absolutely. And I, I had one more thing. Is, is mm. actually you? Yeah, I'll bring it. Sorry, I should have asked that. If you, anything else you want to share, no, no, no. I, I, you I exemplified this so beautifully when you had that uh, shooting that happened in your city, and then you went to the mosque. Oh yeah, the bombing uh, at the uh, arena. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the bombing at the arena. And then you went to the mosque and you said, we're not going to, like, we're we're going to be in right relationship with you. We're not going to see you through the lens of fear or threat mm. uh, or division. And your experience there is so profound because one of the things you did, whether or not you intentionally did this or not, was one, you refused, you know, fear and the status quo. Mm. But two, you created proximity. And this is the incarnational secret of the kingdom of God. Proximity is king when it comes to change and transformation and even repentance. So we see this all through scriptures. Proximity is the way that things are broken down, that divisions are broken down. So that's why Jesus is always going to the other side. He's always going to the Gentiles, to Samaria. He's always going to the poor because he's creating proximity because it's so easy to do us and them if there's no proximity. So if the problem isn't near you, I would say one of the great corrections is to create proximity, make it personal, make it your problem. So if your own you know, friend group has no diversity in it, that's where you yeah. start. That's where you start. So proximity is king. I, I learned a lot about that from you. <laughs> it's interesting. When we've spoken to people here at Ivy and we've had various forums, we want to have more, but what's come across mostly from the people that we've asked, you know, of, of different colours, um, if you like, of, of different, well, well, black people, what am I talking about? Different colours, different colours to me because I'm white. But um, they've basically come across very often and just said, we, we want to be friends. We want relationship. We want to not, you know, to resist cliques and 
and all those. And they said at the same time, because we can do it too. That's what, you know, because you know, so we, we, that will push us into being with people we think are more like us. And it's like, how do we, and it's like, it's within everybody. And, it, and it's that kind of thing. Well, how do I, like you say, push through whatever barrier that is and just in some way to shame these days it's so hard you can't even embrace <laughs> people but you know to to find ways to be able to embrace them spiritually and to be able to do those kind of things going forward is so key and the person with the most power is the one that needs to do it mm. so oftentimes what we've done is we've invited people to come to us but actually that's the opposite of jesus's um incarnational example yeah. He's the one with the power. So he comes, he comes, he makes the change. He leaves heaven and comes to earth. So in many respects, this is the great gospel invitation is for those with the power and the privilege to go to the other side because the other side can't often come to the center of power. So uh, anyway, so many things, beautiful conversation. Let me, let me pray for us. Yeah. Thank you. So God, thank you so much uh, for your great example. Thank you for a love that is not content. Uh, to leave people stuck and oppressed, uh, even by themselves. Thank you that you free the prisoners and that you freed me, uh, that you free us even from our own selfishness and from our own fear, from a life of shame. And um, I pray right now, just for anybody listening uh, to this podcast, uh, people who are really desiring a new way of seeing the world. I pray that you would give us eyes that see and ears that hear your spirit speaking to us right now. That you would give us a genuine, humble posture to change, to be made new, to be made fresh, to be made into the people of God, which we would be a sign and a wonder by the way that we love each other. Uh, I pray that you would make wrong things right in our lives, but also in our churches and in the world. Uh, I pray that this time would be an invitation, uh, that we would see this as an invitation to partner with you to bring good news uh, to the whole world. I pray this in Jesus' holy name, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the beautiful love of the Father. Amen. 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 Danielle, I remember the first time I heard you speak, and it was at a new wine conference, and I was like, man, that was so good. And you're a brilliant communicator. But I just want to say, Every time we connect, I, I do what you just said. I, I, I want to listen because I always learn. And, and just spending any time with you helps me to, to live more like Jesus, I hope, and to, to live the life that he's called us to. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today as we go to the future church. Thank you so much. Bless you. Thanks for listening to the Future Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, listen back with your team and share it. Further thoughts and resources can be found at anthonydelaney.com.